Good evening. This is Radio Free Bichelle. I am Alphonse. Tonight, hierarchy versus centralization. In the first year of the French Revolution, one of the revolutionaries wrote secretly to the king and told him that the revolution had strengthened the monarchy more than years of absolutism could. He explained that by wiping away the aristocracy and many of the feudal structures and local governments and assemblies, that it had centralized power. He said, and I quote, Equality facilitates the exercise of power. It is often said that hierarchy is centralization, as though the two were the same. But often, in fact, they are not. Often these two things tend to be opposites from one another. Consider a firm before the era of cheap telecommunications. You're a company operating across the United States, or the headquarters, say, in New York City, and you have operations in states around the country. Well, you're going to have a hierarchy. You're going to have regional heads in places like Ohio, perhaps, or California. And those heads have the ability to make decisions on their own because they can't always refer back to headquarters. And when you give them instructions, they have to interpret them on the ground according to local conditions. But consider afterwards, when that hierarchy is removed, as many management positions were removed in the 1980s and the 1990s. And instead of having layers of management, instructions came directly from headquarters, instructing the workers what to do. In this case, you have uniformity. There's the same thing done across the country. Commands are direct. There's no possibility of local mediation or interpretation. Even if there's a worker and you want to change something, whom do you talk to? Your local manager doesn't exist. And is the head of the company going to listen to you? Consider the situation of Amazon today, where operations are uniform and centralized to the point where workers are actually monitored and even fired by artificial intelligences. Hierarchy, in other words, introduces the possibility that the layers of the hierarchy will interpret and change the commands from the top. I think the mistake we make is because when we imagine eliminating hierarchy, we imagine eliminating control altogether. But if you have an organization that is pursuing goals, that needs coordination among the people working in it, that coordination has to be organized somehow. Hierarchy is one way. Central control is another. And it's not necessarily better. But then it's not necessarily worse either. I'm not really making a moral argument here. I mean, consider the civil rights movement in the United States, where you had local police chiefs and local governors in the South who were racist. And the civil rights movement, therefore, appealed to the center. They appealed to the federal government to step in and ensure the constitutional rights of black people. And this was hardly a new phenomenon. For centuries, peasants appealed to the king over the heads of the nobility who were oppressing them. But the real point here is that you can't really eliminate structure. If you remove it in one form, it tends to pop up in another. There's a famous paper from the early 1970s by a feminist who went by the name of Joreen, titled The Tyranny of Structurelessness. I highly recommend looking it up and reading it on the Internet. She had experience with feminist activist organizations in the 60s and the early 1970s, And what she said is that most of these organizations attempted to be egalitarian. 
Instead of having a leadership hierarchy, they allowed everybody to participate as equals, at least in principle. That was the formal structure. But informally, what happened was that leadership arose anyway. There were individuals with more influence, groups and cliques within the organizations that ended up leading them the way they wanted them to go. But now, the hierarchy, the structure, was informal instead of formal. And this meant the other people, if they weren't happy with what was happening, they couldn't necessarily see how it was happening. There was a smokescreen, the myth, that there was equality, that there was no structure. And even if they could see what was happening, there was no mechanism for pointing to it and trying to make changes. She compared, in fact, the lack of hierarchy in activist organizations to the idea of laissez-faire economics, the idea that the market, if left to itself, will produce equal or at least fair results. But that's not true. There have been experiments since then with markets, uh, models, in fact, which simulated a market in which all participants were initially equal. They had the same resources. And all could engage freely in trades. And the idea of trades in a market is that if two parties engage in a trade, each must benefit somehow. And yet, as this simulation iterated, inequality increased, until eventually nearly all the wealth was concentrated in the hands of one simulated participant. And this is a fairly general pattern. Very often we have structures that appear to be equal, and in fact in some sense are equal, but that produce very unequal outcomes. This is true of the Internet as well. In the early years, in the 1990s, in the early 2000s, it was believed that the Internet was incredibly egalitarian. Because, after all, anybody could create a website, and anybody could link to other sites. But, in fact, the power in the Internet has become concentrated in the hands of companies like Google and Facebook. And this isn't surprising. I would even suggest that the easier it is to make links, the easier the communication, the more uniformity and equality there is, the easier it is for a hierarchy of this kind to emerge. The question then isn't so much whether you have leaders or elites or people with more influence, but who they are and how you choose them. The same pattern that Jorin described in the 1970s actually did take place during the French Revolution. Augustin Cochin, writing in the early 20th century, describes what happened with the philosophical societies, talk shops that had existed for decades before the revolution. Now, like modern activist groups, these philosophical societies operated on the principle that everybody was equal, everybody participated, everybody got to vote. But that's not what happened in practice. Because, Cochin says, before each formal meeting of the society, there was an informal meeting, where the most active, most enthusiastic core got together, discussed the issues, and decided what their position was, and then contacted other people in the group and put pressure on them to go along. And then when the group met, it appeared as if the consensus arose organically, that the people in the group already wanted the outcome that the secret elite had decided on ahead of time. And it would often arise without their action. And when this same activity, this same model of governance, was applied at the level of the entire country of France, 
The result was, Cochin says, the revolutionary terror. Now, as I say, I'm not making a moral argument about when hierarchy is beneficial or when it is not. What I am saying is that the choice you have is whether you choose your structure of your organization or your society, or whether it's chosen for you in ways that you may not understand and may not have influence in. It might be good sometimes to choose less structure and less hierarchy. It might be good other times to choose more. But the idea that we can just avoid the choice altogether, that we can just leave it up to what happens spontaneously, will often produce outcomes that we don't like. This is Alphonse for Radio Free Bichelle, www.bezdl.ca. Good night.